So you heard the, the beginning of the story in, in, in some detail. I'm going to tell the rest of the story. I'm going to summarize it, basically. But it is an important story for, for a lot of good reasons. This is a woman of faith, Ruth. This is a woman that, um, even though she was not an Israelite, and that's important to remember in this whole story, she dedicated herself um, not just to Naomi, but to Naomi's God, the one and true living God. And because of that, she felt compelled to go to a strange place. It was not her home, Judah, Bethlehem in particular. And that's where she went. Ruth's faith would be expressed through loyalty, personal sacrifice, diligence, obedience, trust. So where it goes from here then is as as Naomi returns after many years of living in Moab and losing her husband, losing her sons, the people are surprised to see her and even more surprised to see a young woman with her. And of course she told the story of what happened and how Ruth wanted to come. Ruth was a very diligent woman. Ruth wasn't going to sit around and, and pity herself at the loss of so many losses, so much pain. And so she set out on the first day to go find a field that she could glean. To glean the fields was part of the, the law of Moses, part of a, a compassionate element in God's law, where if you are a landowner and, and you have fields that need to be harvested, as an act of, of kindness and compassion for the poor, you instruct your workers to leave the edges alone. Don't harvest the grain from the edge of the field. And people who are in need know that. And so want the, the harvesters go out first, and then the people who are gleaning follow behind them to see what's been left behind so they can have grain, so they can have food for their families and care for their families. This is what Ruth did. And Ruth went above and beyond. She worked hard. She worked all day. She didn't just work in the morning. She worked through the heat of the day. And Boaz was the name of the man who owned this particular field. And Boaz came and, and asked the, his workers, who's that woman that's been working so hard out there? And, and, and what's her story? And they said, oh, that is Naomi's daughter-in-law, the Moabite woman. And Boaz was quite impressed with that. And his, his heart went out to her immediately. And he said basically that, all right, I want you guys to watch over her. And I want you to make sure that you leave grain for her every day to glean. And, and also, just, just keep an eye on her like she's your sister. I mean, like you're going to make sure that no one tries to take advantage of her. Because there she was, a, a young woman, and you know, probably an attractive woman, and she was a foreign woman. So that, a woman and those with that description could very easily be taken advantage of by men with ill intent. So Boaz protected her from that and told his own men, you know, don't mess with her, all right? And she came back day after day and did this. And when Naomi heard the kindness extended to Ruth by Boaz, Naomi got excited. Boaz, he's, he's my dead husband, and her husband's name was um, Elimelech. And he's, 
He's a relative. That means that, that he could marry you. Because under the law of Moses, you, if, if, a, if a husband dies, and especially a young wife, and there's no children, there's a responsibility in the immediate family, in the extended family. It keeps spreading out as long as it has to. That if someone's willing to marry that woman to basically have children through her on behalf of the one who's died. It's called kinsman redeemer or guardian redeemer, which depending on the version of Bible you use, the translation. And so Boaz was in line to do that. So Naomi got an idea. Now the story itself talks about a threshing floor and some other details that um, you know scholars a lot smarter than I am can, can describe in, in, in detail about the culture. But just let me put it this way, all right? Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, all right, now take a bath, find the prettiest clothes you got, get some perfume. You see where this is going, don't you? In a positive way, you know? She wanted to leave a good impression on Boaz. She's not just the woman who works hard every day. This is a young woman. And, and, and not only that she's available, but that... He has a responsibility, or he could be the one to come in and marry her. And so as the story goes, that's what happens. He sees that, and he sees, yes, I do want to be the kinsman redeemer for you. I will take you as my wife. But there's just one, one minor hitch, and this shows Boaz's character as well. There was one more relative in line before him. And he had to get permission from him before he would go ahead and marry Ruth. So he called a, a council meeting at the city gate. That's where the important stuff happened. Now, they, there wasn't a courthouse or anything like that. There was the, the men, the elders got together and he brought 10 witnesses and he brought his, his cousin or whoever this was in, in line before him and said, hey, we're going to talk about this. And would you like to basically marry Ruth? And I wasn't just getting the woman. It was the inheritance from Naomi's you know, ex-husband. Or not, excuse me, not ex-husband, deceased husband. And so that man, to his credit, said, well, no, I don't, I don't need a wife. Boaz, you, you go ahead and marry her. And so he did. And so he had a happy ending to a sad story. But there's more to it. Like that's a good story. And, and, and all of us, men or women, when you see inspiring examples of loyalty and personal sacrifice, diligence, a work ethic, obedience, trust, that's a good thing. We, we need to, to, to read those stories for those reasons. But God also had bigger picture in mind as well because of who Ruth would become. Matthew chapter 1. Matthew's gospel begins, of course, the New Testament, one of four writings about the life of Jesus. Each of these four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, have a different angle on the story. <coughs> so with Luke, for example, Luke was writing with Greek people in mind, in other words, Gentiles, the Roman world. 
because it says at the beginning of both Luke and Acts, which he also wrote, my dearest Theophilus, That's a, that was a Roman name, a person. He was writing this to convince this man who wasn't Jewish that this Jewish man Jesus was indeed the Messiah and why that meant something for everybody, not just the Jews. So that was Luke's focus in part when he wrote about Jesus. Mark kind of did that too. Matthew was writing to his own people because so many of his own people didn't, didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. So Matthew begins his writing in kind of an odd way until you understand that. Because job one in the time of the New Testament and, and of the Israelites, if anyone claims to be the Messiah, job one is, are you in the right bloodline? Because if you're not, it doesn't matter what happened, how wonderful they are or anything else, because it has to be in the line of David, or he can't be the Messiah. So Matthew cuts to the chase, and he begins his gospel with the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the son of David. Now, <clears throat> he goes on, lists a lot of names, you know, father of, son of, etc., leading up to David and leading up to Jesus. Um, but I want you to notice as I said to the kids here, okay, there's a lot of men in the Bible and the women are less prominent. Let's be honest about that. So, not less important, they're just not written about as much. In this list, there's three women. That is an odd thing to do if you were living in Matthew's time and writing this out, writing any genealogy. You just, you just include the men. You know, Joe had a son named George, and George had a son named Phil, and Phil had a son named Harry. Just right on down. That's what you do. Sure, there was women involved. <coughs> Excuse me. But in a culture that was so male-dominant, they were set, to the side, set aside quite often. So, Matthew, by inserting women's names, was... Well, why did he do that? And it's not just that Matthew inserted names. It's who that directed by the Spirit of God as he's writing this. It's who is listed in this grouping. Who is part of it? For example, we've got Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We don't have Sarah, we don't have Rebecca, we don't have Rachel. Why is that? But we do have someone named Tamar. So I want to talk about these three women for a moment, including Ruth, because I believe God is making a larger point about Ruth. Not just the, the, the special story, the good story that it is, as important as it is. But what else is God teaching us by having Ruth as part of the word and, and the word leading up to Jesus, which is what Matthew's point here is, okay? So first of all, who's Tamar? If you go to Genesis chapter 38, you can read the details of the story. She's a Canaanite woman. Judah, one of the sons of Jacob, had a... 
Um, he, he was one of the sons of Jacob who were responsible for throwing their brother Joseph into a pit, for, for selling their brother Joseph off into slavery, for going back to their father Jacob and lying about it and saying, Joseph is dead, he was killed by a lion, knowing full well that it wasn't. Now, it doesn't tell us this in Scripture, but it's quite possible that Judah, at least, couldn't live with the lie. Every day, there's his father. Every day, they've got this lie and this horrible thing they did to the brother whom, whom Jacob is just so distraught about losing. And so Judah leaves. He's an adult. He picks it up. He goes. He moves to Canaan. In Canaan, he meets a woman. He gets married. He has two sons. Those sons get married. So you can see this is a long time. All right, because Judah was there at the end of the Joseph story when all the brothers and Jacob went back to Egypt where Joseph was, and you know the whole story. But between the time that Joseph is thrown into the pit until the time Jacob and all the brothers moved to Egypt because of the famine and Joseph is second in command in Egypt is 22 years. That's a lot of time. That's plenty of time for Judah to leave his household and go find a wife and have two sons for those sons to grow up and be old enough to marry because they got married as teenagers pretty much in that culture. So he's got a couple of sons who got married themselves. The oldest of those two sons married a woman named Tamar, also a Canaanite woman. That son was wicked. He was just messed up, and he died. So there's Tamar without a husband. The rules of the culture, not just the law of Moses, were, okay, if there's a brother, then you have a responsibility to father children through that woman on behalf of your, your deceased brother. So the next brother in line didn't cooperate with that. I'll just say that. You want the detail, go to Genesis 38, okay? And he died. So now this woman is left childless. And, and really Judah would have be, be the one now to be responsible. There's no more sons. Or there's a really young one yet, but she's not going to wait for him. So Judah didn't do that. Tamar's getting desperate. Tamar has an idea. And this is in the Word of God, so I don't apologize for it. Okay, She decides to basically dress herself up as a prostitute next to a place where there are prostitutes near, near this temple, okay? Knowing that Judah goes there. That tells you something else about Judah, okay? Judah's out looking for a prostitute. Tamar puts herself, disguises her identity, meets with Judah in that relationship, becomes pregnant. And he uh, wasn't able to pay her for the encounter, so she takes a possession of his as sort of a, you know, to hold on to until he's able to pay. Well, she becomes pregnant, then there's a scandal, and she's in big trouble. And then she, in her defense, she holds up Judah's, um, th this item that he gave to her, and he was there. Oh, that was you? And then he realizes how wrong he was and everything, and so out of that relationship, we have one of the sons in the line to David and the line 
to Jesus. I'm not making this up. It's in there. Well, how about the next one? Rahab. Joshua chapter 2, chapter 6. Now, before I get to this one, just let me say this. Um, I, I won't bore you with the details about genealogies in the Bible, but sometimes in a genealogy, most scholars agree, there are gaps. Okay? So when it says someone is the, the father of this son, it might not actually be their son. It might be their grandson. It might even be their great-grandson. Perhaps as long as the man was alive, every son, every grandson, every great-grandson could be called his son. And that's the way the culture functioned, and they all kind of agreed with that. So when you wrote genealogies in the ancient world, you, you would sometimes make the, the connections like that. All right? Now, the reason I tell you that is because the Rahab listed in Matthew and the Rahab we have in Joshua, and there is no other. There's no other Rahab in the Bible. They don't work if the genealogy is literal in the sense of the father and the son, the father and the son right on down with no gaps. But if there are gaps in, then the timeline can work for this Rahab to be the one that Matthew was writing about. Because why would Matthew do it otherwise? He wrote about Tamar, and we have record of Tamar. He wrote about Ruth, we have record of Ruth. Why would he write about someone, a nameless person named Rahab? Why would he insert that woman into it otherwise? That being said, I believe this is the same Rahab from Joshua chapter 2. Remember that great story? <clears throat> Someone give some water, please. You remember that great story about um, Jericho and this big city with these big walls? And it was now Joshua's time to lead. Moses was dead. It was time to cross the Jordan River and take hold of the promised land that God promised them. They've looked at for decades, and now it's time. And battle won. Job won was Jericho. Jericho had massive walls, and if you had big walls around your city, that was a missile defense system in today's world. Like, it was the greatest defense you could have as a people beyond whatever soldiers you might have to have a huge <clears throat> so in that story, as Joshua leads the people, God gives him a plan that doesn't sound right, doesn't sound very military, but what they do, they marched around the city. For a whole week, they marched around the city, and then they blew trumpets, and the walls came crumbling down. Now, before that happened, they sent spies into the city, and there's a woman in that city who's labeled as a prostitute who welcomed them into her home, hid them, protected them when word got out to the city that there were Israelites spying in their city, and then helped them to escape under the condition that when the battle happened, they would rescue her and her family. And that happened. Walls came crumbling down. They looked for Rahab. They found her and her family. They pulled them out. And they, she lived then as an Israelite. And now, with the previous sto story, when Tamar is at least pretending to be a prostitute, and then in this story where apparently Rahab was a prostitute, 
keep in mind that the law of Moses says in Deuteronomy 23 that God detests prostitutes. And yet, somehow, God is look, overlooking his own law and saying, no, I'm going to use these women because their heart is after me. Hmm. She sheltered Israelite spies. And so here you have another foreign woman, a prostitute, and yet she's also part of the line to David and to Jesus. And then thirdly, back to Ruth again. In Deuteronomy 23.3, there is a law there that says Moabites are forbidden, quote, to enter the assembly of the Lord. It's almost like God's breaking God's own rules. <laughs> and, and if you have, don't have trouble with that phrase because that's grace. I mean, God broke God's own rules to get to you through his son, Jesus. Because we all have sin, and, and, and we can't be with a perfect and holy God in a sinful condition, so we need something to fix that, to make it different, to make it better, and that's Jesus. So, so God took care of our brokenness. you got broken people here, broken women, and yet God is using them to bring about his greater plan that's going to affect everybody. So he uses a Moabite woman, even though he told the people Moabites can't come into the assembly. Well, she can't. Let her in. Ruth showed extraordinary good character. And she is also included. And that's the word I want to end with today, included. Here in Ephesians chapter 1, we see this. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit who was a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Praise God, you also were included. God sees your brokenness. God sees your sin. God knows all about it. Every dirty little detail that no one else knows but you, he knows, and he still loves you. And he still included you when you believed. Praise God for that. The, the, the story of Scripture is not filled with these clean-cut, nice people who did everything right. It's not. There are, there, are, there are broken people, broken conditions, you know, bad decisions. The brothers of, of Judah alone were really messed up. I'll just call it that. Jacob's sons, are you kidding me? I mean, just wanting to kill their own brother is enough. And then Judah, he, his kids are a mess, and he's a mess. And um, there was another whole story how they... Wiped out almost a whole city out of revenge against their sister. And wow, these guys have problems. And you know what? God still worked with them. Not because of their problems, not like the problems didn't matter, they had their consequences. But God had a plan, and He wasn't going to let their sin get in the way of the plan. He still used them in spite of it. God has a plan for all of us. And you have sinned too. And he's not going to let that get in the way of him using you. He wants you to work on it. He wants you to change. He wants you to repent. But he's not going to stop loving you or reject you because you messed up. You are included 
Hold on to that truth. And lastly, from Colossians chapter 3, in Christ here, is, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. The way of Christ, the path leading to Christ, was in these women named Tamar and Rahab and Ruth. The path of Christ was in the men in that genealogy, David included. And with David's many, many faults and failures. Yeah, he wrote the Psalms and a great man whose heart was after God, but sometimes that heart slipped into the wrong place, especially when he peeked at that woman having a bath next door named Bathsheba. And yet, God still worked with him. And it was an honor for his son Jesus to be called the son of David because he was the one who would lead not just the Israelites into freedom and not the kind of freedom that is limited to, to political situations here in, in our earth and, and to have safety at your borders and to be a free people. That's all good. That's all important. But what's best, what's better, and what's awesome is the freedom given to us for eternity by Christ. And you're welcome, and you're included, and so is Everybody else who draws breath, all they got to do is believe. Let's pray. Father, we ask now that you would move your spirit through us, that your word would indeed go forth, that we would embrace the love and the path and, and the salvation given to us freely by Jesus, the Son of God. And if today you want to make a decision to, to know him, then say that prayer right there, right in your seat. Just make word it any way you want. Just say, Lord, I need you. Jesus, come in. Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, help me. It's not the words that matter. It's the heart behind the words. Is your heart ready to, to receive the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ if you never have? And if you know him already and you've wandered, then work on that too. Ask him now to help you to be set free from the thing that's holding you back. He doesn't reject you or hate you or toss you aside when you mess up. He still loves you. Like the son in the story, the prodigal son, he's just waiting for you to turn. Make that turn today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If there's anything you would like prayer about today, if, you, if, if that, this moment right there for you was a moment where you made a decision or a prayer for Christ, or, or maybe you have questions about that, or maybe you know Christ but you're struggling. If you need prayer today on a more personal level, you know, come talk to me afterwards. Talk to Linda, talk to Marie. We'll be glad to listen and pray with you if that's something you need today. Let's uh, stand together and sing our closing song. Our closing